0: Ms. Graham sort of hinted before, today's talk's a sort of hinge. It's an introduction to the next part of our series. Andy's coming, looking towards me. You're not. That's the problem. (laughs) Someone's behind me. So in the autumn, we were looking at the uh, Christian character. We were looking at the fruit of the spirit. Then we've been for a few weeks in the uh, surprise the world. And we're going on to a series which will be looking at spiritual uh, gifts. But, but today's passage from Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, hope my picture's going to come on the screen in a, a moment, uh, Helen, has this expression within it. It says something about the body of Christ so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so the theme today is building up the body of Christ. Uh, and I just wonder if I was to throw out a word Uh, What would come to mind? If I was to say the word body, let's just start here. What what would come to mind? Perhaps it would be flesh, blood, bones, skin, sinews. Perhaps it would be your body. Perhaps it would be an individual you were thinking of or perhaps you were thinking of, of what it says in the Old Testament that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies are Amazing, and although our bodies might let us down from time to time with flu-like symptoms, then they also have the ability to heal. Years ago, I had a pastor who used to refer to his body as the mobile home in which he lived. He used to say, when you look at me, you don't see Jim Clark. You see the mobile home in which Jim Clark lives. That's an interesting sort of scenario or interesting thought. Perhaps if you watch too many crime dramas on TV, when I say the word body, you immediately think of a corpse. A dead body. Who found the body? An early morning dog walker. The police divers have recovered a body from the lake. Or perhaps when I say the word body, you think of a corporate body. There's a bit of tautology. Corporate means body. So if you say corporate body, you're actually saying body body body, there's a bit of interesting information for us this morning, but we know what we mean. A body, a society comprising a number of individual members who work together as one, that's the theory, if a little idealistic. But I wonder if we take it further and we say, what do you think of when you hear the expression, the body of Christ? We're not too far into the new year, although we have reached February to back reference Christmas. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, the body of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. Incarnation, God in flesh. A historical reality and a theological truth at the heart of our faith. Or perhaps when I say body of Christ, you think immediately of communion. This is my body given for you. Perhaps as a Christian you think of your own human body indwelt by the Spirit of God as in some sense the body of Christ here on earth. It's not a far walk from the temple of the Holy Spirit which Paul tells us we are to being the body of Christ. Or perhaps you think of the local church as the body of Christ. Those years when I was a local church minister, I remember that the words local expression of the body of Christ rolled off my tongue to describe the congregation I was leading. And I've been caused to ask myself the question this week as I've been preparing, was this a legitimate way at looking at the expression body of Christ? Or do we need to look wider? You see, in this passage where Paul is writing to the Christians at Ephesus, he's adamant that there is one body. Was I wrong, therefore, in speaking of the local expression of the body of Christ? Not necessarily, only if it obscured that wider picture of one body comprising believers everywhere. Because if there is only one body, I would have been pretty arrogant to assume it was Milton Baptist Church, Western Supermer, or even if we were to assume that it was Bridge North Baptist Church or even to assume that it was my particular brand of church affiliation or theological persuasion. Verse 4 in Ephesians 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's an awful lot of alls and ones there. One One spirit, one God, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. But here's a truth we know. At least I think we know in the body of Christ there is unity in diversity. There is one body, but we are not all the same. We are not clones of one another. Wouldn't this be a horrible sort of scenario if every one of us looked exactly the same. If every one of us was a clone of the others. I'm, I'm not going to leave that on the screen too, uh, too long because I, I find it pretty scary and I've got my back to it. We're all different. Here's a wonderful thing. I do not have to look like you. I do not have to be like you. And even better, you don't have to look like me or be like me. I heard that, amen, Arlene. There's an old song that used to go and probably still does. There's a work for Jesus, none but you can do. We're all individual. And we've got our individual characteristics and uh, gifts. When I went to Edinburgh University at the age of 18, I studied ecological science. I remember my very first lecture from the professor who talked about uh, vultures. He talked about a carcass on the African plain and he talked about (laughs) vultures and he talked about the way in which uh, there was like a procession of vultures came along uh, and the first ones had uh, really strong beaks but short necks and they tore away at the outside. The next lot that came along, they had longer necks and they could get their head inside and the next lot that came along had even longer necks and they could tear out the meat of the bones. They all worked together. They were different. They were all vultures, but they all had a specific job to do. And also in ecological science, I was taught that there is stability in diversity. Each member of the body of Christ is different. To each one of us, grace, grace means a free gift, has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's a very important expression, as Christ apportioned it. Notice we do not choose what part we play. Christ apportioned it. He chooses which part we play in the body of Christ. Parallel passage in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So if Christ apportions our gifts and our roles, if the Holy Spirit distributes them and decides what it is that we have to use for God's glory, then there's no room for gift envy. There's no room for role envy envy. Our passage in Ephesians chapter 4 begins with an appeal from the Apostle Paul to individuals, the diverse individuals which make up the body of Christ. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Have you ever heard the expression when somebody's looking at a photograph of another person? Well, not bad considering the material they had to work with. We are the material that God has to work with in building up the body of Christ. And God specializes in using weak things, simple things, vessels of clay. That doesn't mean, however, that the raw material, the individual members which comprise the body, cannot be developed, cannot be fine-tuned, honed, improved. In some sense, our autumn series on Christian character covered this ground. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, peace, and unity. In exploring gifts, as we'll do over the next period, we shouldn't ignore the Christian character or the fruit which we looked at in the autumn. Christ gives gifts to his people. In this specific context of Ephesians 4, he gives gifts of leadership. and There are five of them, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Have you ever thought this of a church leader that you've known, not of course, but have you ever thought this of a church leader? He really thinks he's God's gift, or she really thinks he's God's gift. Guess what? They are, they are. Leaders are given to us as God's gift. Christ gives gifts to his people. Gifts of leadership, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. In the one body of Christ there is diversity of leadership typically in a setting such as ours leadership has been expressed as pastors and teachers usually conflated into the one role of the pastor teacher and I need to ask the question this morning because I want to be true to God's Word why have we settled for two out of five if God's given us five-fold gift of ministry why have we almost inevitably settled for two out of five do we have problems with the other three Well, we might have a problem with evangelists because many of you who are wise will know evangelist is an anagram of evil's agent. And Some evangelists, as indeed some pastor teachers, have let the side down and dishonored the office. But sometimes evangelists have been regarded with a degree of suspicion as mavericks here today, gone tomorrow. Prophets we may have had less exposure to, although the gift of prophecy is increasingly exercised and accepted, and we're looking forward to specific teaching on this subject from a guest in a month or two's time, well, actually, three or four months' time. But when it comes to apostles, we encounter confusion of definition. Initially in church history, One of the qualifications of apostleship was being an eyewitness of the risen Christ, and clearly that was a closed and a dying group. Some denominations have used the term apostle to identify specific leaders who've responsibility for wider than a local congregation. Others define apostleship as pioneering, church planting, leaders in innovation, or spiritual entrepreneurs. Yet others use the term apostle to describe the head of networks of churches who set the pace for doctrinal interpretation within their group. In New Testament times, the apostle, Paul, didn't exercise his ministry exclusively in a local congregation. He had responsibility over a number of congregations in different communities across the Mediterranean world this certainly raises the question as to whether each congregation needs its own apostle now if christ has given fivefold gifts of leadership to his church it's just conceivable that the church is unnecessarily debilitated if we're not receiving and utilizing each of these five gifts not just one or two. And I think, Graham, in this series, we're going to look at each of those five roles, apostleship, prophets, and so on, in individual talks. But how would we be debilitated if we just had two rather than five? We're told that the reason Christ has given this fivefold ministry to us is to equip his people for works of service. By implication, we will not be equipped to the degree that we could be if we're only being equipped by pastor teachers and possibly evangelists but are missing out on the prophetic and the apostolic elements. But notice a very important thing. Leaders are not given to do the work of ministry but to equip God's people for works of service. Church isn't a rest camp. It's a training camp. In which Christian believers are encouraged, enabled, and released for acts of service. And notice it's service, not serve us. Our local church is not so much a chaplaincy there to serve our needs and make us feel good, but rather a mission agency through which we're equipped to serve. And as we're equipped to serve, what happens? The body of Christ is built up. What does that mean? Those of my generation, I suspect the men, more than the women, may recall a little advert which appeared regularly in our comics. Who remembers this advert or one of its... Ill? Just, just give me a wave and I'll know you're old if you saw these adverts for a bodybuilding course from a man strangely called Charles Atlas. I'm Just going to ask for another confession because this would, this would be really fun. Who sent for the course? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's confessing to having sent for the course, then I won't ask you to stand up and see whether it worked or not, or whether you whether you carried on that. An advert for Charles Atlas bodybuilding course. There's a danger that bodybuilders of the Charles Atlas kind have limited effectiveness. Their effectiveness is actually limited to winning bodybuilding competition. But the one body of Christ is to be built up. How do you identify when the body of Christ is built up? Not necessarily by attendance or membership statistics, by financial stability, by the beauty of its buildings, by its effectiveness or increased effectiveness in influencing the world. There was a time. And perhaps still is, when church leaders eagerly watched as newcomers arrived at a church ready to sign them up, to recruit them, to facilitate the day-to-day mechanics of the church, service was measured by commitment to the ministries, internal ministries of the local church. And the local church and its meetings consumed the energy, indeed the lifeblood of its church members. Didn't people know that meetings eat people and eating people is wrong? However, if there's only one body, then when the fivefold ministry team equips God's people for works of service, that cannot surely be restricted to the bounds of the local congregation. It must be wider, it must be out there in the world, it must be in the community. And so that apostolic element may help us to see strategically where God is already at work and may be calling some of us to join in. The prophetic element may reveal to us particular individuals to which we should offer prayer or initiate a conversation. A little bit like uh, Michael Frost, that uh, good-looking gentleman who was speaking about a few moments ago. I was just thinking if I was to let my beard grow again, uh, we, we could be brothers from other mothers and all of that sort of... Uh, thing. The evangelistic element may equip us to answer those questions to which Jesus is the answer. The pastoral element might equip us to take care of those in need in our world, whether they're part of our local congregation or not. The teaching element may give us the confidence in what we believe to boldly operate as Christ's agents in the world. It may also equip us to critique the teaching of apostles, prophets and others with a translocal ministry. For sound teaching will equip us to be discerning. And what will the result be? Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. All of these elements come into play and help us in building us up as individuals, and as we, as individual members of the body of Christ, play our part, the body itself is built up. Ruth spent some years in uh, South Africa, and not long after we were married, she took me to South Africa to see the places they'd been. She'd been and meet some of the uh, people that she knew. Uh, And on our very last day in South Africa, we visited the township of Soweto. And we went into the cathedral church of Regina Mundi in this African township, South African township, the home of Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu. Uh, And this church, Regina Mundi, had almost been like a parliament building where many of the key discussions about the end of apartheid had taken place. World leaders had come and uh, taken part in meetings in here. And there'd also been a lot of uh, gunfire and even bloodshed in that place and our guide who'd been very flippant and irreverent as he referred to some of these world leaders uh, giving them improper nicknames and so on suddenly went all serious he took us to a statue of Christ where the hands had been shot off he pointed to the statue and he challenged us why has he got no hands Silence around the little gathered company of tourists who were there. And then our guide uncharacteristically turned to us and he says, He has no hands because he's given them to you. Isn't that amazing? That expresses the profound truth that as believers, we are individually and corporately to incarnate Christ in the world, to be his hands, to be his feet. And inevitably then the body of Christ is built up as we become more like him. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, instead speaking the truth in love That's not always easy. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, which leads to the final point. Christ is the head of his one body. Whose church is it? Local, regional, universal? It's Christ's church, and he's the head. Not a denomination, not a leader, not even a membership. How does he exercise his headship? Not simply as a CEO calling the shots. Verse 16 contains an incredible truth. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work, in, in other words, incredibly, Paul is arguing that Christ the head is working organically through each individual member and each of us does our work in conjunction with every other part. When that happens, the whole body will grow and build itself up in love. I wonder this morning, are you ready to let him work through you, to incarnate him in a needy world, to play your part in building up His body. Let's just recap where we've been this morning. Unity and diversity, we're not all the same. We've been gifted in different ways. The grace, the free gift of God has been given to us, and it's different for me than it is from you, and so on. Unity and diversity, that diversity needs to come together so that the one body may be built up. Diversity of leadership. Do we need to look more carefully? at models of leadership and the way in which we receive the gifts of leadership that Christ has given to his church, equipped to serve. What are we here for? We're here to be equipped to serve Jesus in the world. I got so frustrated for a time when I was a pastor in Glasgow, and uh, I determined that if ever I was a pastor again, which in time I I was, I I wasn't going to fall into the same trap, because trying to be a good pastor and visit everybody in the congregation on a sort of systematic basis, I'd find myself in the home of some old ladies well one old lady at a time and I discovered what they wanted from me was me to share their prejudices whether they were political whether they were racial and uh, they wanted me to polish their egos that's not what the work of pastor is about that's not what the work of church leadership is about the work of church leadership is to equip people for service I remember one of those old ladies who was serving. I shared about this at a home group the other week. Her Son-in-law was the local barber, and uh, this lady in her 90s would come down with her brush and would brush up the hair off the floor from the barber shop, have a lot of banter with the old guys who were sitting in the barber's shop. But I discovered that lady who was sort of uh, overlooked by many as this uh, eccentric old lady Her and her husband had given hospitality to students from the Glasgow Bible Training Institute who had then gone all over the world as missionaries. And this old lady, Mrs. Elliot, in her 90s, she still prayed for them all. She wrote letters to them all. Nobody's sort of exempt from the possibility of service. We're equipped for works of service. We're not here to be having our egos polished as individuals. And the most important thing possibly in relation to what we're hearing this morning is this, we can be connected to the head in the body of Christ. We have an organic connection to the creator of the universe. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that absolutely fantastic? And he wants to work through each one of us and help us to do the work that he's called us into the world to carry out. Let me pray for us as we see the ways in which we can be involved in building up the body of Christ. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for that uh, picture which is used uh, a number of times in the New Testament, the picture of your church as we've been thinking about today, in particular, the one church. There is one church. Body. We thank you, Father, for the power of the illustration. Uh, we pray, Father, that its familiarity would not anesthetize us as to its effect or rob us of its impact. But Father, each one of us might recognize that you have gifted us as your children, as members of your body in different ways, and you've done that so that we might contribute the gifts that you've given to us once we've identified them. Help us to identify our gifts, help us to encourage one another in the identification of gifts, and help us to bring them together for the upbuilding of the one body of Christ help us to accept one another to accept one another in love help us father individually to to follow those uh, initial encouragements of the passage in terms of being humble and patient and gentle and all of those other things so that we're actually good body parts in the one body of Christ help us to receive the various kinds of ministry that you've gifted to us and help us each one of us to know what it is to be enabled, to be enlivened, to be equipped, to be ordered by Christ, who is the head of the body. Help us to play our part in the body of Christ in this community, in this town, in this nation, and indeed in our world, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.